Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Alhamdulillah. Wassalatu wassalamu ala rasulillah wa ala alihi wa sahbihi man wala. So, so this halakha, um, can't remember who uh, asked, you know, we try to do something here. And uh, it's always, you know, good to do something. So what I figured is, I just am a little bit different. Since it's a weeknight and it's not something too academic, right, or a hardcore course. So I figured we'll do something different, which is basically that... Um, I have this book here, which is a very good book, which is everyone should have this book in your home. Every Muslim, I'm always, I always say every Muslim household should have uh, like a little library. Every Muslim household should have a library. You should have a shelf. Cost you 80 bucks to get from Staples if you're a little bit more ambitious. You can get some nicer ones. And you got to have books of ilm. You got to have this stuff, right? And one of the things the ulama used to do is they considered there are two things that there's never israf. So israf means overspending, right? You can have israf in a lot of things. Sayyidina Umar ibn Khattab, he had governors, and he used to expel them, fire them, if he used to know that they had israf. So what he used to do is he used to send a spot, he used to send agents of his to go to the regions and to get invited into their homes, right? To get themselves invited. And once you're invited... Tell me how he lives. And then that person would send back a report. And one of them, he sent back a report to Omar. And he said, this man, yani, every kind of food is in his house. And the curtains are changed once a year. The brand new interior design once a year. So Omar said, he's fired. He's not, he's not, a, he's not a good man. Right? At least not good enough to be a wali, which is a governor. But israf is not considered in two things. Number one, the Prophet said, طيب, which is good scent, because it's like a sadaqah, everyone benefits. The second thing is books. A lot of times when you read the biographies of the ulama, okay, uh, you find that they died in debt because of books, or that their biggest tariqah, their inheritance, was books, actually, that their kids either sold you know, or divided amongst themselves. Right? It's probably more, more valuable than anything else that the scholars had was books. And uh, today, people are reading off of um, tablets, right? Which, very bad, thieb, perfumes, scent, any type of good scent, whether you smoke it, smoke it as in burn it, or uh, not smoke it, burn it. <laughs> okay, yeah. Lighting it as an incense. Of course, we, as Muslims, were educated on the issue of incense. Don't go and buy the, the junk stuff. Uh, that are used in Hindu temples with all yani, due respect to the Indian people, but they use junk over there. They use junk. The tlib is actually a metaphor of the mu'min, believe it or not. It is a metaphor of the mu'min. There's only one tree, which is the Assam tree. Right? The Assam tree grows in a region from North India, right, around North India. Okay? And this tree, when you, what you smell is the antidote of the tree. When the tree gets infected naturally with a fungus, it produces its own response from its own like immune system. Okay? What you smell is that medicine, how it medicated itself. Okay? So what, this is the mu'min. The mu'min gets afflicted. Allah says in the Quran, the believers... If some shayateen come and trick you, 
and touch you and get you. In other words, get you to slip up, get you to make a mistake. Tadakaru. Right? It forced them to go and remember Allah more. Right? Now they have better basira, a more polished basira, more knowledge. So who benefited at the end? When shaitan attacks a believer and gets him, who benefits? The believer himself benefits. He's, he, I don't want to say the word evolve because of all the connotations, but he, div, he advances, he rises up all right, in fighting shaitan. People, if people knew the value that shaitan brings to, to humans, you would never go blaming everything on shaitan. Right? You would understand. The value of shaitan is, this is exactly why the human being elevates and malaika don't elevate. Malaika are created. Malaika, firstly, they're not born. Okay? They're not male and female. Do not produce another malak. Malak is created. Okay? And has no genders. And then the malak stays at the same position. He doesn't change. Not up or down. Right? But the human, when he gets attacked, if he's a mu'min, it strengthens him. Uh, look at everyone today. Everyone wants to have a comfortable life. Right? But when, if you want to get big, what do you do? You go to discomfort. You go to a gym to get discomfort, right? To get a weight put on your chest and you have to push it up, right? That's how you get big. Likewise, the mu'min, okay? He gets big, he gets strong. Once there was a, uh, one of the salaf, he made dua, Oh Allah, block all the shayateen from me. This is Abu Yazid al-Bistami. I believe it's Abu Yazid al-Bistami. He said, Oh Allah, block off the shayateen from making wiswas from me. So he did. And then he stopped advancing. Then he said, Oh Allah, ever since uh, for some time I haven't been advancing. Okay? And he said, Because you asked for the shayateen to, to, be, to be stopped from talking to you, from waking wiswas to you, now you have no attack. Well, you have no attack, like a karate guy who does karate, but there's no one to spar with him. Right? You're not going to advance. This is the thing. Um, so this is the thing. Books is huge. Now, we use tablets, and tablets are, 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 are very beneficial. You can tap a ton of books on your tablet. There is one drawback, two drawbacks to the tablets that you should be aware of. Uh, when you use uh, tablets, the first drawback is there are plenty of distractions. All right? So it's almost impossible, nearly impossible, to say, I'm going to read a book from a tablet, and that's all you do. If you have that type of discipline, then you're probably like unique. But most people... On the tablet, you're going to be hooked. They call it the net for a reason, or a web for a reason, right? Because as soon as you touch it, somehow, you don't know what happened, you've gone far off of what you actually intended to do. So these distractions is a problem. Secondly, books help you fall asleep, actually, right? Tablets don't. The light of tablets keeps you awake for a long time. I mean, most of us, the book is such a... A boring page is black ink on a white page, right? So it, puts, it helps you fall asleep, which is a good thing. Tablets keep you up uh, so you're, you're unnaturally awake for too long. So this is one of the warnings. Another warning is you always, we have to be ahead of the game, all right? We have to be ahead of the game. We're always behind the game. So the next technology that's coming that you've got to be aware of um, is basically like VR goggles, basically, virtual reality goggles. And the company, the main company is Oculus, which is owned by Facebook. I believe Facebook owns them, right? But Oculus is basically a... Have you ever seen someone go for the cataracts or glaucoma, whatever it is, they wear the full radial glasses? 
right? So it's a huge set of goggles. They're going to work, of course, on making it more user-friendly, but right now it's a huge thing of goggles. You put it on and you hold two things in your hands. And it's a programmed artificial world, basically. Okay? It's an artificial world. So you literally, your, your awareness is that you're in this world. And you could walk, you could move, you could touch stuff. Okay? You could do stuff. So the experience of watching, let's say, a, a really crisp HD TV is going to be put... It's going to be like radio in comparison to TV, right? Or TV in comparison to internet. This is going to uh, blow HDTV or smartphones or tablets out of the water as an experience, as a virtual experience. Which is problematic in the sense that, of course, all these things could be used for good or bad, but it's problematic because, again, books are going to be way at the bottom and people and actual real life will be way at the bottom, too. Because what these guys want to do is they want to, make, they want to use these uh, virtual reality goggles to have crisper color, crisper, def, higher definition, right? Uh, they're working on scent even, too, to involve scent. So, I mean, this, the, the, I'm not really comfortable with this virtual, virtual stuff uh, because of the consequences of it. Sure, the book is called Muhammad, the Best of Creation, A Glimpse of His Blessed Life. Okay, this is how it looks. So you could just buy it for like seven bucks on Amazon. Things are so valuable, but they're so cheap. Now, they wanted us to, pr to produce copies for the attendees. I wanted to see who is going to be here first, or who's going to come first. But the real reason is I want to know who's going to pay for it, right? Right, so we will figure that out. If uh, we want to buy a whole bunch of them, and then you can buy them from here, or you buy them on your own. Uh, so we could talk about that later. But that's the name of the book. Now, listen to this. This is the premise of the book. It's something we've strayed of far as an ummah. Okay. The early Muslims, the Salaf. Salaf is the earlier Muslims. Khalaf is the later Muslims. Uh, Any time past is always the Salaf, and future is the Khalaf. Uh, they were fully aware of the importance of learning and teaching the various aspects of the Prophet's life, since loving him is an obligation on all Muslims, which can only be attained and perfected by knowing him. So you can't love the Prophet, peace be upon him, if you don't know him. Uh, it reached such a point that Ahl-Sunnah wal-Jama'ah Ahl wal reached the point that the summary of the whole religion, when they summarize the entire religion, they summarize it as love of the Prophet. Okay, so some people will find that curious. So why didn't they summarize it as submission to Allah or love of Allah? Right. Well, Ibn Qayyim al-Jawziyah said because that's not specific enough. Because the Jews and Christians make claims about Allah. The Hanifs, Hanifs are people who don't follow any book, but they worship Allah. These are Hanifs, right? Uh, pure people. Of course, now uh, in the time of the Prophet, there was a Hanif by the name of Amr. And he made kufr, he refused to believe in the Prophet, peace be upon him, because he was sort of a celebrity mystic, right? And he refused to believe in the Prophet. But there are hanifs, there are people out there who will tell you, I love God, I'm a very spiritual person, but I have no religion. I follow no religion. This is very popular to say, right? So if we simply say, submit to Allah, is not sufficient. So Ibn Qayyim al-Jawziyah said, it's not sufficient that you say that you love Allah and submit to Allah, you have to say that about the Prophet, peace be upon him. And what is the most um, uh, summary way of describing all the things that we're supposed to have towards the Prophet? I mean, we're supposed to believe in him. We're supposed to submit to his judgment. 
We are supposed to uh, practice everything he does. We're supposed to love him. So what uh, is the summary of all this is love. Right? love. You don't love someone except you believe in him, you follow him, you emulate him, you strive for him. So love of the Prophet is these four words and two words in Arabic, Muhammadur Rasul, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, is really what the ulama said at the end of the day. This is a summary of the whole religion. Right? Now when you think about this, this is what, what did Abu Bakr Siddiq, what did he have? Right? When he accepted Islam and then he went around doing the da'wah, what did they have? Right? They didn't have fiqh. There was no fiqh. There's no such thing as fiqh yet. There was one act of worship, which is tahara, wudu, and salah. That's it. There wasn't many verses of Quran that you could sit and recite Quran all day. So what moved Abu Bakr Siddiq to do what he did? And then Bilal and Ibn Mas'ud and, uh, and later on Umar bin Khattab and these Sahaba, they had love of the Prophet, peace be upon him. Why did Abu Bakr have this love of the Prophet? Because he knew him better than any other man. And Khadija knew him better than any other woman. And Ali knew him better than any other boy. All right? So these are the first three Muslims, and this they knew him. Now, Zayn al-Abideen, Ali ibn al-Hussein. Of course, you have Ali ibn Abi Talib. He has two sons, Hassan and Hussein. You have Sayyidina al-Hussein. He has a son named Ali, whose nickname is Zayn al-Abideen. And he survived the calamity and the massacre of Karbala. He survived it because he was sick in the tent, so he didn't actually fight him and his um, aunt, Zainab. So he lived on, and he was the most pious person of his era, and he said, we teach to the children the, the, the maghazi, which is really the, their word of sirah, in the same way, with the same diligence that we teach them the verses of the Qur'an, surahs of the Qur'an. This is how serious they taught them. They took this subject. All right, so they, the people have to know their prophet in order to love them. Okay. So the Maghazi was something also that Ibn Abbas considered a science. Ibn Abbas was the first person to establish like a school, a curriculum. And he established one day for tafsir, one day for shi'r, which was language. He meant about this language, poetry. Okay, one day for masail, which is halal and haram, which we would call fiqh. One day for uh, maghazi. And then one day off. And then start over again. So he was the first person, and he did this in the courtyard of his house. All right, so he has absolute freedom to do what he wanted. All right, did it in his house. So maghazi really meant here by sirah. Okay. So uh, the author of this book is Sayyid Muhammad Ali al-Maliki al-Hassani from Mecca. He comes from a long family of ulama of Mecca, and alhamdulillah, I was able to actually study with him for a summer. And he was a big man, very tall and wide, and he, he owned the block in Rusayfa, okay, a whole block in which he taught, and his students lived, and the teachers lived, and everyone lived, and he taught from his house. He used to be the sheikh of um, the college, too. He used to be the head of the Aqidah department in Umm al-Qura, which is the college in Mecca, until the 70s. And then another movement came, and they told him to only teach in his house. So he only started teaching, in his, he was only teaching in his house. When I met him, it was like the only last five years of his life. Uh, very humorous man, very happy man. And this way I say, anyone who focuses their time on the Prophet, it alleviates a lot of the humum and the gham and the hum of the heart. The Prophet ﷺ was once a man asked, how much salah upon you should I do? 
I currently do one-fourth. So in my nafila time, my extra time, my ibadah, I do one-fourth salah on the Prophet. So the Sahaba back then, it wasn't all random. They were dividing up their worship. And if you take something serious, you have to gauge it. All right? I mean, you take your money seriously, right? You got a 20% for the rent or 25% for the rent, X for the gas, X for the school, and then you have your own, your extra income, right? Everyone who with an intellect has a gauge of their money, right? The Prophet ﷺ said, the truly intelligent one, the truly intelligent one, he lowers his ego, right? He lowers his ego, and he acts for what is after death. So what does it mean, lower his ego? Because we strive so much for in the dunya, mainly, one of the main reasons is because we don't want us to be seen as being lower than anyone else. This is the main reason we work so hard. Think about it. If, if really there was no one else on the earth right now, you would keep content yourself with a pillow, a couple changes of clothes, a hut, and food to eat. That's it. You would content yourself with that. Now if someone came and made a nicer hut, you're going to have to make a nicer hut. Right? You would be just content with nothing. Right? This is the nature of the human being. Why do you think all these people, they want to go and retire uh, on an island in the Caribbean? There's no competition there, right? There's no competition. So we are really, we work extra hard, and most of our focus is driven to be better than other people. It's a big sickness. Yep. On that note, and uh, on what you said earlier about um, Allah and how he was very humble in his heart, you know, the, 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 the 1875 Well, we don't work for him. Yeah, I mean, Omar, Omar ibn Khattab, he didn't do that to everyone. He did it for the people who worked for him. This is how I'm going to tell you. The question is, um, you know, we, people seeing uh, the Prophet, they had very little. Sahaba had very little. We have so much, right? This is the question. Uh, and you, you feel guilty by having so much. Well, in one sense, there's some questions are what we call anachronistic. In other words, a question from one time zone, right? One, or uh, one time period to another time period. So the standards don't apply, right? That's one thing. But here's the rule. There's no set rule of thumb of how much you should have, how much you should don't have, okay? There's no set rule of thumb but, or rules. But I'll, there is a, a one-way to barometer to do it, okay? If a, person, uh, if a person truly is preparing for his afterlife more than his world, worldly life, right? When he's in that mood, right, he will not overspend, okay, when he's in that mood. But there's another thing, too, that people have to realize. People have to realize what, what matters is that people don't have a, a, a clutching grab and, and love for worldly affairs or being better than others. This is worse. It's one thing. Really, it's not even a big deal. Someone says, I like to have a nice jacket. Sahabi said to the Prophet, I like to have a nice dope and a nice sandals, right? The Prophet had no problem with that. What did the Prophet, did, the Prophet did say? 
He said, I'm afraid that dunya opens up for you, right? And you will compete for it with one another. It's the competition element that's bad. Not excellence and not beauty. It's competition with the other believers and other people that is poison in the hearts. Uh, there was uh, Hassan al-Basri. He's considered the greatest scholar of his uh, time. He's from the Tabi'een. Hassan al-Basri from Basra. Well, he had a, a talib, a student, named Habib al-Ajami. Okay, Habib al-Ajami. So one time Hassan al-Basri was uh, looked at, he was on the banks of the river, he was very upset. And Habib al-Ajami passed by. I said, Sheikh, why are you so upset? He said, because I really wanted to pass by the river, uh, pass, assalamu alaikum, kevaharuk. I really wanted to pass, um, I, need, I needed to get across the river, but the boat is late. So he said, Habib al-Ajami, who was a very ajib uh, man, he said, uh, you still take a boat? He said, what do you think, I'm going to swim? He said, no. He said, just shut your eyes. And he shut his eyes. Habib al-Ajami held him really tight, and he took one step, and he said, now open your eyes. And he opened his eyes, and they were on the other side of the river. Okay? He was on the other side of the river. Hassan al-Basri said, and where did you get this power? He said, purify your heart from all envy and all worldly desires. And Allah opens doors for you. This is called Karamat al-Awliya, which we believe in. Karamat, this, book, this is found in the book of uh, Abu Nu'aym al-Isfahani, called Hilyat al-Awliya. Right? Hilyat al-Awliya. Uh, and then he said, Habib Rajmi said to him, we make our hearts, us poor people, Habib Rajmi was poor. Right? And like illiterate. He said, we make our hearts white and you scholars make paper black. Right? By writing on it. Right? So you, 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 you make paper black but we make our hearts white. And this is the case for many. Always when there's an alim, ulama have envy. They envy each other. And every industry the people envy each other. This is the biggest envy. Industrial envy, like in your industry, professional envy and sibling rivalry. Right? Sibling, if you were the only person in your family and you were the only person in your industry, right, you would have no problem. But with siblings and, and professional competition, this is the worst, right? This is the worst. And people, are even ulama, from scholars, even janitors, right? Janitors, they have envy. They envy each other's schedule, right? They envy each other's pay, all these things. Okay. Now, let's uh, take a look at this. <clears throat> The subject here. The Sheikh Alayhi Rahmatullah, he said that he's made this very simple for us. He's taken this seerah, not even seerah, but descriptions, and made it very simple. So we're going to go over it, and at any time you can stop me for questions, and then when I find a uh, reason to stop, I'll just make a brief commentary. The Prophet's lineage is actually which recommended to us. All right, the Prophet said to memorize up to a certain amount and then to know that the links back to Ismail. Okay? And this is that Muhammad, son of Ab- Ibn Abdul, son of Abdullah, son of Abdul Muttalib, son of Hashim, son of Abdul Manaf, son of Qusay, son of Kilab, son of Murrah, son of Ka'b, son of Lu'ay, son of Ghalib, son of Fih, son of Malik, son of Nadr, son of Kinana, son of Khuzayma, son of Mudrika, son of Ilyas, son of Mudr, son of Nidar, son of Ma'ad, son of Adnan. Okay, then all the way to Ismail. Okay, uh, all of the Arabs 
from their Arabs are of a couple types. The first type, easy to know, is Al-Arab Al-Ba'idah, the Arabs that don't longer exist, do not lo any longer exist because they were destroyed in earthquake or, or, or in Adab. Like the Arabs of, um, in the south, the Qawm of Hud, right? They were destroyed. The Qawm of Salih, they were destroyed. The of Ad and Thamud, they were destroyed, okay? The second type is the the original Arabs, who are the original people of the peninsula. And then the third type is Al-Arab Al-Mustariba, which are non-Arab people who came into the peninsula and learned Arabic. And chief amongst them is Ismail. Ismail is a non-Arab, so where his parents are, his mother is from Egypt, okay, and his father is from what now is Iraq, Ur, right? So uh, then he moved and he learned Arabic. So anyone who feels, oh, I, I speak Arabic but with a broken tongue. It's Prophet Ismail, likewise, spoke with a broken tongue. Sayyidah Hajar did not even speak Arabic. She had to learn what little she knew okay, of Arabic. So this is it. Even the word Zamzam is what? This is from the ancient Egyptian language. It means stop. Stop in the ancient Egyptian language which is lost. It's not an Arabic if, it, if you wanted to make it Arabic, it would be qif-qif, right? <laughs> right? But that's not what it is. It's zamzam. So that is not even an Arabic or original word. Okay? So um, Ismail alayhi salam. Now his lineage comes down, and there's some blurriness in the lineage. There are claims that we people know exactly the lineage, but the Prophet said, really, you need to focus on two, a main break. So the lineage ended up dividing between Adnan and Qahtan. So every single Arab is between Adnan and Qahtan. Okay, Adnan and Qahtan. And of course, they, after the Sahaba expanded, they went mingled and mixed with the North Africans and the Persians and the Byzantines and Sham. So most of the Shawam are part uh, Byzantines or Roman territory, right? So you have, uh, it's all mixed up, but still the Prophet said, one should memorize and teach their kids the seven forefathers from the father's side. Because that's your actual, your actual lineage. It's seven from the father's side. So your father, grandfather, grandfather, all the way back, seven. And now why is this? Because the athar lasts seven generations. The athar. The effects of deeds last seven generations. Okay? So Ibn Abbas gives a tafsir, Surah Al-Kahf. Surah Al-Kahf, what does it say? That there was a, a treasure. Okay, and this treasure, it was, there was a wall. And the wall was about to collapse. So Khidr fixed it. And Musa blamed him. Because these were, they were no good people. And you fixed their wall for them. And then Khidr told him, I fixed it because these had a forefather. These boys had a forefather all right, who was righteous. And, uh, and he put a treasure there. And Allah wanted to preserve it. Ibn Abbas says, it was the seventh grandfather back. And from that, we learn that the, effect, the effects of good deeds last seven generations. Okay? Effects of good deeds last seven generations. Okay? So what, this is what the word baraka means increase. The word baraka means increase. So when you do a good deed, how does, a, how does it increase? What does it mean, the baraka of a good deed? It means that it will reverberate through your children. Okay? And this is like common sense, you know, it's a common sense and there's a spiritual element. Like the common sense element, if I took my kids from here and moved to Mecca, for example, right? 
Uh, the chances of them being Muslim in seven generations is very high, right? But if I move to Las Vegas, the chances of them being Muslim in seven generations is not very high, okay? So that's common sense. And the other is spiritual, in that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, uh, We make them, or in another ayah, that Allah does not allow or does not want for righteous people to be sad. Okay, if you attain a level of wilaya or righteousness, then Allah doesn't want you to be sad. So, what is going to make a person sad? That I have no goodness in my offspring. Right? That'll make anyone sad. And for them, Allah makes guides people just for the sake of people's righteousness. And this is one of the reasons people should have taqwa. Right? People should have taqwa because if that is the best way, your own taqwa is the best way for Allah to, for you to ensure the righteousness of your offspring. Okay. Namely that if you have taqwa, Allah Azza wa will not leave your offspring to be uh, cut off or misguided. Okay. And Allah Azza wa even says this about Ibrahim alayhi salam. What is it Prophet Ibrahim says? Women dhurriyati. Right? So Allah said yes. But there are going to be exceptions, right? If someone does dhulm, then the rahmah won't reach him. But the answer was yes. Okay? Right. So that means who is specific here? That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Ibrahim salam said, my offspring. Allah said, the oppressors won't get it. Okay? So what does that mean? That means yes to everyone. But the oppressors are the exception. So the answer is yes to everyone. Everyone will be guided from the offspring of Ibrahim, except the dhalimin. Okay? So the exception is the dhalimin. Now the Prophet ﷺ, uh, was born as a unique thing that we have. Uh, Monday is a unique day in the seerah of the Prophet ﷺ. He was born on Rabi' al-Awwal, during the month of Rabi' al-Awwal, on a Monday. Okay? And, uh, okay, uh, various days, and, but the ulama usually put it on the 12th of Rabi' al-Awwal. Uh, and we have many other things happen on a Monday to the Prophet ﷺ. He said, the Prophet was born on a Monday... This is Ibn Abbas. He was born on a Monday, sallallahu alayhi wasallam. He was commissioned with prophethood by the angel Jibreel, Iqra, on a Monday. Okay? He left from, made the hijrah from Mecca to Medina on a Monday. Okay? He arrived on Medina on a Monday. Before that, at the age of 35, he raised the black stone at the age of uh, 35 on a Monday. And he passed away on a Monday. This is narration from Sayyidina Ibn Abbas, okay, related by the Musnad of Imam Ahmad. Okay, so Monday is a very, very big thing. Now, another thing you will find in the life of the Prophet, very early on, there are ties with Yathrib. Okay, like the saying goes, like, you can, you, you can really connect the dots afterwards. So after the Prophet Sayyidina moved to Yathrib, which he didn't like it to be called Yathrib because the Jews and the hypocrites kept saying Yathrib, whereas the believers would say Medina to Rasul or Medina to Nabi. So uh, it was Yathrib, then it became called Medina. Uh, you, can tie, you can connect the dots from way before. Now, Abdul Muttalib, his name is not Abdul Muttalib, and he's not the son of Muttalib, right? Muttalib is his uncle. Okay, his name is Sheba. All right, Sheba it means like a wise old man. That's his name was Sheba. Now this uh, father of his father, Sheba's father, 
okay, uh, who is Hashem, traveled and married a woman, a, be- a beautiful woman that he came upon in Yathrib. All right? Her name was Salma. This is why the word, name Salma is very prominent in the Muslim world. This is the great-grandmother of the Prophet. Okay. Salma married Hashem, but Salma was a noble woman of Yathrib, and she refused to move to Mecca. Now Hashem said, I'm going to be the chief of Mecca. You don't want to be yeah, like the queen of Mecca? And she said no. Right? And he allowed her to stay. And he would go back, and then Sheba was born. He would go back and visit his son, okay, and educate him a little bit, and come back. Finally, Hashem died quite young. So his brother, Muttalib, became the chief. Okay? Muttalib became the chief of Mecca. Then Muttalib went back to Medina, uh, to Yathrib, when he realized that none of his sons were worthy of being the next chief. So it was a problem. So he went back to Yathrib and he looked at Sheba and said, this boy is good enough. This boy is, is qualified, is good and fit to be the next chief. So Muttalib took him back, convinced Salma, let the, let the boy come, I'll train him, he'll be the chief of the most important city. So she accepted. So Sheba went back with him, and on the way into Medina, uh, into Mecca, okay, they thought that he had picked up from the market a slave. Right? So they just started calling him the slave of Muttalib, thinking that he's a slave. And Muttalib said, he got upset. He said, this is no slave. This is your chief. This is your future chief. Okay? And so they took it all as a joke. And from then on, his nickname was Abdul Muttalib. Right? Whereas he is Sheba, son of Hashim. Okay? Sheba, son of Hashim. And this is how uh, he got his nickname, Abdul Muttalib. On top of that, the father of the Prophet wasallam, uh, as well had relatives... Okay, obviously, from Salma, right? His relatives in Yathrib. So the children of Hashim, all right, Abdul Muttalib's children, will continue to visit Yathrib regularly. Okay, and the Prophet Sallallahu father died because of the uh, type of uh, uh, flu that would occur in Yathrib. He died because of that. So he died in the vicinity of Yathrib. Okay. Then the mother of the Prophet Sallallahu also died a short way away from Yathrib. So there are many, many uh, uh, ties and connections to Yathrib. So Yathrib, which is, becomes Medina al-Munawwara, is not come out of a vacuum. Right? There are many ties with those people. Okay. And this is Allah when He wants to make something happen. Right? And this is always what happens when people say, you know, when people get married. Uh, it happens a lot of times in communities, you know. People get married because you know way back you know my father and your father and you connect the dots and that's why people get married. Well, likewise, whenever there's something's come together, there's always a history. So with Yathrib, there's a big history uh, between Yathrib and the family, specifically the Bani Hashim. Okay. So what is the Al and the ben, the Bani and the Al? The words Bani and Al. You should have an idea about this because there's actually some Shara involved. When we say Silatul Rahim, so what does that mean, Silatul Rahim? Uh, it's obviously your family, but in specific, what is your al that you really have to take care of each other? Okay? You re- in debts, you should help each other in debts and all these things. Okay, the al is determined by everyone related 
to your dad's dad. That's what your tribe is, your clan, actually. They call that a fakhv. A fakhv is like an offshoot of a tribe. So no one knows their tribe, but you do know who your dad's dad is. Anyone related to your dad's dad, you owe it to them, and they owe it to you. All right? This was the old insurance. Back to the, today we have insurances, right? Because you can't cover all costs. Well, back in the day, your insurance was your clan. If you, for example, accidentally killed someone, the dia has to be paid by the whole clan. Right? Not, the dia is not paid. Dia, which is blood money, if you accidentally kill someone, or you hurt someone, or you destroy something, and you have to pay it back. In, in Sharia, the Qadi will not ask you to pay it. He'll ask your entire clan to pay it. So if you know who your dad's dad is, you need to now draw a map. All right, who, is, who are his sons? Who are his daughters? Then who are their kids? All right. His sons and daughters will be at the level of your dad, and then their kids will be at your level. And then their kids will be at your children's level. You have to circle that. Those are the people. You owe it to them, and they owe it to you for Silatul Rahim, not only Silatul Rahim, right? Like Silatul Rahim, Silatul Rahim, many people think it's just called on Eid, okay? No, this is Silatul Rahim Mughallada, which means the real thing, which means if they're in financial trouble, you owe it to them and they owe it to you. And who's doing this these days? But we got to teach it. You know, we got to teach it, right? We got to preach it, okay? So it doesn't go through the mom, although, <coughs> although the Prophet ﷺ did specify that, yani, your mom's family involves Siratul Rahim, but it's not in the same way as what you owe with financial, financially to your father's father's relatives. Okay? Everyone who derives from your father's father. Now, someone should ask a question then. Why is the family of the Prophet called Bani Hashim? Not Bani Abdul Muttalib. Right? Why is it called Bani Hashim? Bani Hashim is two grandfathers up, not one grandfather. So, Technically, it should be called the Bani Shaiba or the Bani Abdul Muttalib, but we always find it's called the Bani Hashim. The reason being is it's the same thing because Shaiba was the only male inheritor of Hashim. Right. Shaiba was the only male inheritor right, of Hashim. So the, when, when it's only one-to-one, then there's no difference whether you call it Bani Shaiba or Bani Hashim. Okay. So they were known as the Bani Hashim, and that is who is... In sh- the specifically, Bani Hashim has another matter in Sharia, which is they don't accept zakah. They cannot be given zakah. And they're given the khums. The khums, which is back when the Muslims were doing conquests, way back, okay, when they were actually conquering others and not being conquered themselves, they were making money, right? Revenue. It's coming from everywhere. So what is the khums? The khums means it goes to them, to, uh, since they don't take zakah, all right, this alleviates their poverty. And number two, the intention behind it should be that for those who want to devote their life to knowledge, they should make a salary from that. All right, they should get a salary from the khums. And of course, the poor who cannot accept zakah right, uh, will get it, uh, alleviate their poverty from the khums. So, you all know this, the man of Junaid named Junaid al Salik. Junaid, right? Uh, Junaid was a young man who was a wrestler in Iraq. And there was a tournament set up. He was the best wrestler in his era. And this relates to Ahlul Bayt not receiving zakah. 
He was the best wrestler in his era, so the sultan at the time, just for fun, after Dhuhr, right, after Dhuhr, uh, he was to go indoor inside his palace and just uh, unwind with his courtiers, have lunch and stuff, then they would go off, take naps because of the sun. So he said, let's do a tournament, right? I put 2,000 gold coins, right? And let's have a tournament, just like for relaxation, for fun. So put out advertisements and have everyone come who wants to challenge Junaid. And whoever can beat Junaid, right, is going to get the 2,000 gold coins. Okay. So an old man signed up. And they laughed because they said, come on. Right? He said, no, give me a chance. It's my right. So they said, fine, go ahead. So as they get close together and start this Roman wrestling, he said to him, I'm from Ahlul Bayt. Okay. So Junaid says, so what do you want me to do? I'm not going to lose just because you're Ahlul Bayt. Right? I respect you. I'm not going to lose just for that. So he squeezed him. He pinched him. I'm like, think. I'm from Ahlul Bayt. Okay, look at me. Then he realized. He's poor. He doesn't accept zakah. So he's going to stay poor every year because he can't accept zakah. Right? So he realized what he's saying. He's the poor, uh, any noble man is not going to come out outright and say it. Right? So he said, okay, I'll do the moves. And when I squeeze you, you push. So he did that, and he let the man defeat him, pin him down. So the sultan said, oh, something's up. So do it again. And the sultan made him do it three times, okay, until uh, Junaid walked, he just left. And people just were, like, really puzzled. How could he lose this match? The guy got his 2,000 gold coins and left and alleviated the poverty of his family. So then uh, that night, a man came to Jun the Prophet came to Junaid. He saw a man. He didn't know who it was. He said, uh, Junaid, uh, and this is in his dream, he said, Junaid said to him, man, who are you? He said, I'm your prophet. Right? You lowered yourself for the sake of my family. I will, I will make sure your name is raised until Yom Al-Qiyamah. Until today, uh, when you say the name Junaid, right, he is Sayyid Ta'ifa. In other words, this, the chief of the pious. This is his nickname, chief of the pious. Say the thought. Okay. Yes. No, um, the one who did that, who came to Medi uh, brought them, uh, is. Further back up. Further back up, yeah. Just further back up, yeah. So this question was about how did Quraysh get into Mecca in the first place, right? But that was from way back. There was another clan, a tribe that ruled, and then the chief of that tribe married his daughter to, I believe it was Qusay, married his daughter to Qusay. At this time, the Quraysh was just a regular tribe. They weren't the chiefs. But then uh, this uh, tribe, they saw that this chief, he saw that his sons were lousy. So he gave the chieftaincy to Qusay, and that's how Quraysh became the chiefs. Yeah. And of course, a war ensued, and they were able to defeat their enemies. And they became the uh, chiefs of Mecca for that reason. Yeah. So a couple miracles happened on the night of the Prophet's birth. Okay. 
uh, and we believe in uh, karamat al-awliya and mu'ajizat al-anbiya. It's a very important part of aqidah. You have a question, brother? Yes, his name is Sheba, son of Hashem. That's correct, yeah. The brother, who is Muttalib. Muttalib, yeah. So, uh, two things, karamatul awliya and muajizatul anbiya. What is the difference between a miracle of a prophet and a karama of a Muslim? Okay, um, there's only one difference. There's only one difference. The miracle of the prophet is meant to be publicized so that people know that this is a prophet. Okay? The purpose of a miracle of a prophet, mu'ajizah, is that the people, the enemies, the followers, all people know this is a prophet. Right? This is how prophets are made known. Okay? It's through miracles. This is what differentiates a common man from a prophet. So what is a karama of the Siddiq, of the Muslims? A regular Muslim, right? firstly, what does a karama indicate? And who does it come to? Okay, and what is its function? A karama, which we talked about many karama, we just talked about two, like Junaid and the Prophet, so I said, that's like a karama. Or Habib al-Ajmi, being able to pass short, basically travel a whole distance in one step. Okay, there's a karama. The karama comes to the sincere practicing Muslim. This is, the, this is the criterion. Two criterions. The first criteria, two criteria. The first criterion is that he is not a fasiq. In other words, he's not publicly known for sinning. Right? Of course, people make mistakes, but we keep it hidden. Right? We're supposed to keep our mistakes hidden so that we don't corrupt people. If we all did mistakes openly, right, we would just say, oh, he does it, he does it, he does it, so I can do it. Okay? Keep it hidden. So he is not known outwardly that he's a fasiq. He's known for being righteous. He pays his zakah, fasts, and does his prayer. The second criterion is that he is sincere. The karama indicates ikhlas, sincerity. Karama indicates sincerity. Now, Allah اللهم رب هذه الدعوة التامة والصلاة القائمة آتي سيدنا محمد الوسيل والفضيلة والدرجة العالية الرفيع وبعث الله والمقام المحمود الذي وعدته أنك لا تخلف الميعاد. So we were saying the so the karama who does it come to? Someone number one he has ikhlas sincere and number two he's known as a salih that means he's Islam is fine. Now what is the function of it? The function is for someone to know the Qudra of Allah, for the people to see the Qudra of Allah, to know and not be limited by cause and effect, and to know that Allah is there and is all-powerful, right? remains to be all-powerful. And sometimes the cause can be to give other people faith in the righteousness of another person, who would like, for example, an imam, okay? to, have, to give righteousness to an imam, to give people certainty that they're following the right imam. Okay? Such as Imam Ahmed ibn Hanbal had many karamas. Okay? Imam Ahmed ibn Hanbal had many karamas. Imam Shafi had many karamas. Okay? Uh, Imam Malik had many karamas. It right? gives the followers of these people uh, yeah, more certainty. 
And we, it's very important for us that we don't believe in the limitation of cause and effect. All cause and effect is created by Allah. And at any time, He could break these causes. So what is our rule, uh, uh, guidance as Ahl Sunnah wal Jama'ah regarding cause and effect? We act on it, but we don't allow it to limit us. All right, we act on it, but we don't allow it to limit us. So what's an example? Perfect example, Sayyidah Fatima Zahra radiallahu anha was sick. She said, I, have, I want to eat figs. So Sayyidina Ali bin Abi Talib gathered whatever money he had and he went to get some figs. He came back and all he could buy is half a fig, is, as a one fig, one fig. On his way back, he, uh, a poor man begged him for a fig, for the fig. He said, I, I, I want that fig. He said, I was, uh, it's, not, it's, it's for someone sick, so just take half. So he said, okay. Then he got into the house. As soon as he was entered the house, someone knocked on the door. He said, look, at, I'm, I haven't eaten for three days. Wallahi, give me the fig that I see in your hand. Half a fig. So he gave him half the fig. So Sayyidina Fatima said, you, you know that you know, I'm sick. I wanted to eat some fig, and now we have nothing. So what did he do? He, he took asbab. He gathered his money. And he used cause and effect, and when he got a fig, he didn't rely on a fig to fall from the heavens. But he didn't allow this to stop him, right? Why? Because he said, as he said to Fatima, I know that we, you, you will eat figs because Allah, as the Prophet, our, our, our master, the Prophet told us, and when someone gives a sadaqah, Allah gives him tenfold in return. Okay? So they sat waiting, and at some point later on, a knock came at the door. Okay? And the man gave him a bag of figs. So Sayyidina Ali opened it, okay, and knowing that Sayyidina Ali was taking this, the Prophet make, if Allah and the Prophet make, give you a promise, it's gonna, you have to take it up. He counted the figs and he said, there are nine figs. So Sayyidina Fatim said, MashaAllah, nine figs. So she's very happy. But Sayyidina Ali wasn't smiling, okay? <laughs> so he went back. And he went back to the man. He opened the door again. And he found the man standing there. And he said, there's the one more to come. Okay, <laughs> and he gave him ten more figs on top of that because Allah says ten is the bare minimum, right? And then ten is the bare minimum. One good deed is worth ten rewards, and Allah can increase uh, which means up to an endless amount, uh, infinite amount. Yes. Mm-hmm. So if, if I want to ask, you know, everything we like, everything we interact with, does that mean there's there has to be a meaning behind it, or is most of it? Because like sometimes I also tr- have trouble, like, oh, I should have remembered, like a week ago this happened. I should have implemented that that advice or that uh, comment or et cetera, et cetera, <coughs> um, and then I regret it. So how, like, is everything purposeful, uh, purpose driven? Okay, so you're you're asking about like consequences. So you you skipped on something good, then something bad happens. Stuff like that. Now, here's the thing with that. There is actually knowledge on. We have guidance on that. For the salihin, the people whom Allah loves, if they do something wrong, they are made aware of it immediately. Right? For, for the fasiqin, Allah allows them, accumulates what we would call their bad karma, and then hits them with it later on. So they make no association. So Allah wants to guide you, right? Like, you want to guide your son. You're not going to let him slack off in homework for 10 years 
then say, oh, he's going to learn a big lesson when he pumps gas at the age of 30, right? You're not going to do that, right? If he doesn't do homework right away, you have to reprimand him. So he's guided, okay? So they say that the salih, if he does a wrong, right, especially having to do with the walidain, the parents, right, then he is iqab, his punishment, or even they don't say that's a punishment. They say that it's like a slap on the wrist or a warning and a reminder happens right away, very soon. I remember a man, he stopped donating. He had a fight with someone in, the, in, in a way back um, uh, in my youth. He had a fight with a man in the mosque, one a board member in the mosque, so he stopped donating, right? And then we were over his house, and his oven wasn't working, right? So he had a dinner that night, and he had to cater the food because his oven wasn't working. So someone from the mosque, he said, well, you stopped giving the, donating to the mosque, right? So Allah took your money somehow else. You're going to lose it anyway, right? At this time, you're not getting hasanat for it. So he, he, he laughed, and he started donating again to the masjid. So this is someone who gets it. So the, for the salihin, it's very quick. And for the fasihin, right, Allah waits, so they forget, you know, so they don't learn the lesson. Right? Allah lets them keep going. Yeah. No, not zakah or sadaqah, only they can accept the gift. Gift. Gift they can accept. So what's the difference between sadaqah and a gift? There's a difference in sharia and in spiritually. Spiritually, sadaqah is the purification of your wealth. Right? So you should intend all of my bad wealth. So you have clients. Not every client, his wealth is halal, right? By giving sadaqah, you don't know, it's all mixed up. All your money's mixed up. And even your money now, it doesn't even exist. It's a number in a bank account, right? But, yani, we make the intention with sadaqah to eliminate, okay, the evil wealth that's in our money. And number two, it's to, for fixing, uh, yani, sicknesses, alleviates sicknesses, alleviates the ghadab of Allah. So, sadaqah has that. Number, now, in sharia, sadaqah cannot be taken back. Right? Cannot be taken back. Now, gifts, the, the purpose of gifts is, it doesn't purify your wealth, but gifts is meant for love between two people. Tahadu, tahabu. Right? But a gift can be taken back. Okay? A gift can be taken back. And the Prophet said and practiced this. This is the difference between Sadaqah and a gift. A gift can be taken back. A, uh, a sahabi came to the Prophet and said, I've so, always been poor. I really want to be a successful herdsman. Right? So the Prophet said, I'll help you. Okay? And he gave him some large amount of sheep. So the man went off. And obviously the Prophet, when the Prophet gives you something, there's a lot of barakah in it. The sheep kept creating more bait, more, more sheep, more offspring. He became very rich. Far away, he, he had, his herd became so big he had to move far away. Then he stopped coming to the masjid. And the Prophet used to say, Where is so and so? Where is he? And then send him a message, tell him, Don't forget Allah, right? Don't forget the masjid, right? Come thank the one who gave you all this wealth. And the man kept saying, I'm too busy, I'm too busy, I'm too busy, okay? And then the Prophet said, He needs to show an example to the Sahaba too, right? So he said, Go and ask the man. He said, I don't want. My returns, I just want that original amount back, okay? Because I didn't give it to you, I didn't give it to you so that you can skip salah in the masjid, right? 
So that's an example of the Prophet Sallallahu taking money back or taking a gift back. So you could take it. Now, they, there's another hadith that comes where a man gave another man a horse, okay? And that man was hitting the horse. So he said, I don't like the way he's hitting a horse. Give him, me, uh, give him back. And the Prophet said, hold on. This is like someone who vomits, then licks it up. Don't take it back. So now the ulama are wondering, uh, what is it here that is, how could the Prophet took a hadith, he took money back, and, he, and then he told this man, don't take it back. The answer is that uh, if, it, if the gift is affecting the deen of the person, right, the actual core of the person's deen, then you may take it back. If it is really affected, just he's misusing it, or you don't like the way he's treating it, then you don't take it back. Right? So that meant, so that's how what the fuqaha said. Because uh, the, the beauty of a knowledge, right? there's a difference between riwayah and fahm. Riwayah is just transmission. You can get anyone to memorize and to read and just to transmit. The key is fahm, understanding. And how do you understand? For every hadith or ayah is to look for the opposite. So, so that there looks like a contradiction and a problem. Through that comes the fiqh. From when the two opposites meet, that's when you bring masa'il, then you bring knowledge. So now we have guidance of when we should take a gift back, right? When it's affecting the deen of the other person, not just that he's misusing it. Okay. Uh, what time is Aisha, by the way? When? Right now? All right. Any questions before we wrap up for today? Okay, alhamdulillah, my pleasure. So, uh, Sha'arab, what do you want to do with the, with the book?